Last week we celebrated that uh, my my new reappointment at Berkeley. So that means it's been a year since I told a story about the Appalachian Trail. Um, <laughs> for those who are visiting, I um, I, I hiked the, the Appalachian Trail, and I like to, to share stories it's full of lots lots of amazing tales of, of daring and escapes. Um, not really. So you're just walking, you get up and walk, and you go to sleep and you walk some more. So imagine like imagine a four month commute from Maine to Georgia. And that's, that's the trip. But, so one, one day was really hard, and so I was in Southern Maine, and so I started up in Maine, in the middle of Maine, and I was walking south. And I was started out, it was right after college, and I was in really bad shape. Um, but I was, I didn't give up, I was stubborn, I took a big pack, I think my first pack was like 80 pounds, um, <laughs> which is not a good weight to walk uh, with. And so I think the first time I stopped, I sent about 60 pounds back to my parents. Um, and I had a backpack, I had like five, no, I had like a backpack or guitar, I had a guitar with me. Um, I had like five books, I was not, yeah, the best decision to make. But, alright, so I'm, I'm doing better, I'm doing better, and I'm going down, and I get to this spot called Mahusik Notch, which apparently in New England they call um, canyons notches. Um, that's something they do, so, but it's a notch, and so it's this very steep one in southern Maine, where the sun never comes to the valley, so there's ice all year round. And so it's, it's slippery, and so most people who are going northbound on the Appalachian Trail are usually like walking three to four miles an hour by the time. They're in good shape, so it doesn't matter going up or down here. It's a good, it's a good normal, it's a good walking pace. Um, I like to tell my wife, Alina, who um, is a teacher, it's a good teacher pace. And so, you know, when you, when you walk with a teacher around the hallway, teachers never dawdle. It's always like room to room. So it's a good, a good pace walking around, but when you get to Mahusik Notch, it takes about three hours to go a mile. Um, because it's just moving up and down and moving around. And so I was walking through, but I was, I was finally feeling my legs. I was feeling like I was finally in shape. I, I knew what I was doing. I was, I was ready to go. And I was going through Mahusik Notch, and I slipped. And I was holding my arm up, and my arm hit a boulder. And I dislocated my shoulder. And then I flipped over three times, and I was turtling. Which, just imagine a turtle on its back. Going like this, because ah. I couldn't, I couldn't get my pack off, so I was just stuck there, with my arms in the air. Um, I had just been talking to a guy. I was like, "Hey, can you come back? I think I dislocated my shoulder." Um, so he came back, and he was like, "Oh man, that sucks. I don't know what to do." Uh, <laughs> which I got a lot of over the next hour. There was a lot of, "Oh man, that looks like it hurts." Um, <laughs> It does, it does. If you've ever, ever dislocated a shoulder, it, it really hurts um, badly, and there's not much you can do. And so, but I was, I was there. The only book I had was um, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is about <laughs> the horrors of trench warfare. It was not a good, um, I should have sent that one back. I don't know why I kept that one. <laughs> but people, stopped, people kept stopping. I was, like, I was obviously in need, and people would, would stop by and be like, Oh, do you need to do water? Because that's all I can give you. Yeah. Um, but it was like, oh, it was nice. It was nice to have people stop. It was nice to be that obviously wounded that people would stop. And there's a different ethos when you're hiking as well. It's different than, it's, yeah, it's just a different mindset than if you're on the side of the road, of a street or a highway. That people, are, in my experience, are more likely to stop when you're hiking on a trail in that kind of way. But it was eventually... Um, Eventually, it worked out. I got out of there. Eventually, there was a guy who came by who said, okay, I've never done this before, but my father's a doctor, and I've read an article. 
got back and saw it. Um, and, and that was it. But, I, but I, I think about that passage, I think about that experience of mine when I think about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, about being hurt on the side of the road and what is going on there. And I think about the people who stop, and I think about the people who, who didn't stop. And I think about how my, my pain was, was really obvious, but as well, like, what if it wasn't so obvious? What if I was hurting and it wasn't so apparent to everyone? There are so many hurts we can experience, so many pains that are not physical. And many of our physical pains in the past leave scars emotionally leave scars psychologically, leave scars spiritually, that it's hard sometimes to address. And we may feel wounded on the side of the road and people keep passing us by. My friends, we're continuing a series on dealing with rejection, on dealing with those times in our life when we do not feel helped or welcome. There's so many ways of rejection in this world. Last week, we talked about one way of of being rejected and sharing good news. Today, about being rejected and being wounded. The Bible is filled with rejection. That's probably the the most overarching theme throughout the Bible is rejection. (laughs) Is people rejecting God. That's the biggest one. That's the biggest theme of the Bible is people over and over again rejecting God. The next one is people rejecting each other over and over again. And sometimes it's people rejecting themselves. But through it all, we must remember these three important aspects. That one is the reality that we are going to be rejected in this life. In some way or another. We can't get out of this life without some form of being rejected. The second, though, is more important. Is the fact that rejection does not define us. We are not defined by that. And the third, the most important of all, is that God does not reject us. God does not reject us. And so I, wanna, I want us to think through this, this famous parable one more time and read through it again and think about it in a, hopefully a new way. First of all, it's important to think about what a Levite and a priest are. Levites, are, Levites, are both, Levites and priests are both priests, but it's kind of like a square rectangle thing in this. Like all Levites are priests, but all, not all priests are Levites. And so that's just a good, good helping thing. But what's really important about priests and Levites is that they need to be clean. They have to maintain ceremonial purity or else they can't do their job. It's like, you know, think about an Uber driver or or a taxi cab driver. If his car breaks down, he can't do his car anymore. So he's going to take care of the car. And so for a priest or a Levite, if they touch something that could defile them, they couldn't do their job. So this is one way of understanding that whenever they see the person on the side of the road over there, they move to the other side of the road. And both times, it's, very, it's this little detail, but it's apparent both times, and it's really important. I often miss it, but the fact that they move to the other side of the road so they don't pass by. The passage tells us that, that the man who is beaten up by the brigands is covered in blood, is his clothes are torn or he's naked. And so it could also look like that he's dead. And for a Levite to touch a dead person means they have to be, um, they'll be unclean for a week. And so that would mean a week that they couldn't do their job, their job of caring for the temple, their job of following God's law. And so this is important, too, because oftentimes the Levite and the priest are presented as, oh, look at those selfish guys. They're just walking their own thing. They don't care about anybody. But there's, it's a little more complicated. The issue is about what is, how do we arbitrate two 
um, two compelling things in our life. Like, how do we, how do we understand when we have, are we, we're called to one thing and these conflict? Because this is most of the moral quandaries in our life are conflicting issues, conflict, conflicting choices. If we all had like a neutral playing field, of course we would want to do nice things for other people. But that's not what life throws at us. We never have this neutral spot where we don't have other obligations. The Levite had an obligation to stay pure. He also had an obligation to his neighbor. Those are both, both laws in the Torah. And so how do you decide which obligation to follow? And that's so often for many of us. It's like, how do we decide which obligation to follow? I have a meeting I need to get to, but I have a person in my life who needs some help. Who should, which obligation should I care for? It's not so easy. It's not so straight. It's not so neat. Okay, so we have the, the man on the side of the road who's bleeding and wounded. What if he wasn't? What if there was a person on the side of the road that their wounds were not apparent to see? What if they were grieving? What if they were, what if they were hurting? What if, what if they just lost their job? What if they realized their life was not the ex- what they expected it to be? They're still on the side of the road. Then the Levite has no excuse to stop. Then they're just moving by. What if the Samaritan doesn't even stop? That's, that's the challenge so often. Is that it's hard... Nobody sees us as we see ourselves. And so when we have those internal wounds, so often we expect the world to see it as such. And to be like, gosh, to do the exact thing we want them to do, even though we don't know exactly what that one thing is. Um, Because when people say, can I help you or can I do something for you? Usually, you don't know. But it's still this idea of how do we care for those who are wounded? And how do we respond when we are wounded and we feel rejected in that? When we feel like we just bring people down or we're not the person we used to be, how are we supposed to respond by that? As well, I think it's so important for us to remember that sometimes we don't ourselves understand our pain. We don't understand the things that have happened to us. That in many ways we are opaque to ourselves. That the, the, self, like the self-awareness to know what we are thinking and what we are feeling is pretty remarkable with anyone. And so we should not expect that of ourselves. But what are we to do when we are wounded like that? One way, I think one response that's really important for us, and I've, I've mentioned this a lot, is the practice of journaling. A journaling can be like a, a nice journal. It can be notes on your phone. It can be scraps of paper. And what I mean by journaling is not saying, dear diary, today I went home and saw this boy that I liked. Like that's not, that's not what journaling is. Um, it's really like remarking about what happened because our memories are all bad. Like everybody who's over the age of 30 complains about their memory. It's true. Um, but it's, it's, none of our memories are perfect. We always are going to forget things. And especially if we are going through times of trauma and hurt, we forget times that are not hurtful. We just wash those away. Those are gone. 
As well, oftentimes, when we're going through really good times, when everything is, is looking up roses, we forget that bad times are coming, that they have happened to us in the past. We don't, we don't remember that the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And so what I mean by journaling is taking a moment to remark, okay, this Sunday, it was kind of hot, but the clouds were nice. Like that. Like that's all I'm talking about, like taking a moment to remember. Or, you know, I talked to my brother, and he was nice to me. And like that, that kind of thing. Um, not talking about my brother at all. This is a completely different example. But of just, and just remarking in that way, and you can connect that to your faith or not. But especially if you are in the space of your life where you feel wounded on the side of the road, or if you're in the space of your life where you don't, but you don't know how you can help the people in your life. You know there's brokenness. You know there's hurt. But it is outside of your vision. Taking the time to be aware of where you are is so important. Another aspect is through the rest of uh, what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, calls the works of, of piety. And this is, this is reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, studying, um, praying together, both privately and corporately. He also talks about fasting. As, um, as an elder in the Methodist church, one of the questions my bishop asks me, like one is, are you in debt so as to embarrass yourself? That's a question. Every Methodist pastor has to be asked. Very few answer it, honestly. Um, <laughs> Another one is, will you encourage fasting for people? And fasting is, some, is very hard to explain. It's kind of confusing. Now there's like a lot of different fasting diets um, of different kinds, and that's not what is, is spoken of um, in this kind of way. It's really, biblical fasting is taking a moment, taking a meal, and saying that my belly does not control me, God. I'm offering you this time of prayer. It's not like taking, you know, skipping lunch in order to get more work done, or skipping lunch in order to lose weight. It's it's skipping lunch in order to pray. It's like, instead of taking this time to break bread, I'm going to take some time to pray. I'm going to sit with you, God. I want you to open the eyes of my heart. And that's what the whole parable of the Good Samaritan is all about. It's, it's Jesus saying, you need to open your eyes. The Levite and the priest didn't open their eyes. They were focused on the, the commandments that they had directed to them, that they saw was important to them, and they were moving on with their life. The Samaritan opened his eyes. That is what God's call is for us. Whether we are wounded on the side of the road to open our eyes and see that the people who may be rejecting us, who may be passing us by, don't understand what is going on. And we cannot blame them. We cannot be resentful. As well as when we are passing by, when we are blind and ignorant to the realities of the people in our life who are hurting. Another important thing for us to do is what John Wesley calls the works of mercy. This is, this is visiting the sick, feeding those who are hungry, clothing those who are naked, visiting those who are in prison, visiting widows and orphans in their needs. All sorts of manner of, of activities and what the importance of this for whether or not you are wounded or whether or not you, are, you don't realize you're wounded, because that's usually the difference, is whether or not you realize you're wounded or you don't realize you're wounded is to remember that you are not the center of the universe. And when you take moments to care for others, when you take moments to, to offer yourself in service, that God reminds you. God reminds you and shows you the grace of caring for people, that you are not the center, and that God loves you for a purpose. That you are loved and forgiven for a purpose. Not just to be satisfied in yourself. Not just to be this nice, hermetically sealed box 
but to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And in that, we open the eyes of our heart to see as God sees, to break our hearts as God's heart is broken, to not pass by. To not pass by. To realize the issue is, is justice over duty. That was the thing with, with the Levites and the priests, is they chose duty over justice. They chose the duty of following what they assumed was important over the justice and mercy of the people in front of them. And it's so much easier to follow duty. It's so much easier to think about, okay, what are the rules of this situation? How should I, how should I adjudicate it properly? Instead of looking with the eyes of mercy, it takes faith. It takes faith to look with the eyes of mercy. It takes faith to step outside of the duty, to step outside of our assumptions. It takes faith, faith to realize that we may be wounded. It takes faith to realize that being wounded does not mean I'm weak. It takes faith to realize and admit that maybe I've passed some people by in my life. It takes faith to realize that I am not lost because I've passed people by. I, I am loved by grace. They are loved by grace. And whether or not they receive my grace or not, they are still loved. I am still loved. And that is a powerful thing. And so my brothers and sisters, receive the undeserved grace of God. That's the thing about the, the Good Samaritan. None of the people deserved grace or help. Neither the person on the side of the road, or the Levite, or the priest, or the Samaritan. They're, they don't deserve it. Sometimes we feel like if we are hurting, we deserve some care. We deserve people to look out for us. That resentment that can build and build and build. But instead, we all receive the undeserved grace of God. Lola received the undeserved <laughs> grace of God. We don't know who she is going to grow up to be. But we know that she is loved by God. And that is the best start we can offer. And we can remind her and care for her. We can, we can encourage her parents as, as she grows up, her family. We can remember God's love for her when she is wounded. And that's the hardest part of growing up, the hardest part of being a parent, is seeing your child have wounds. When, when Dominic, our, our six-year-old, last year, when he broke his wrist, it was both like my worst and best dad moment. My best dad moment because I immediately realized it was broken. I was like, whoa, that's bad. That's broken. <laughs> and he's a boy, and so he falls a lot. It was like, this is a different fall. This is a different cry. We got to take care of it. But it was also the worst in seeing my son hurt like that. And knowing that I could not fix it. And we know it's going to happen. It's going to be bad. He's going to be a teenager. Things are going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I can't accept. He's not always going to want to snuggle with me. I'm going to be rejected by my son. <laughs> That's going to hurt. I've got to admit it. But I have to remember as well that that rejection does not define me. And that God does not reject. And so my brothers and sisters, receive this grace of God. Receive and remember that even when you are wounded and people pass you by, God loves you. 
And even when you are being oblivious and not thinking about other people in your life, God loves you, but God is calling you to open the eyes of your heart. To remember that you have been wounded before. To remember that you are probably wounded still. To let go of resentment, to let go of isolation, and step into faith in the love of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.